Hi friends, this is episode 85 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hello, my friends. I'm so excited to go on this journey with you. Today, we're going to ask the question, what do you do when your past comes back to haunt you? Now, perhaps you have a family member or some person in your life that you think that you've gotten over all of the hurt that they've caused you in the past, but really you've just buried it, and then they show up again. What does God's character do to help us to grow in these situations and grow in our calling? It's going to be a great conversation, but before we get there, I just want to make sure if you're just new to joining us, make sure you go to our website if you haven't already, thebiblelab.com. Thebiblelab.com. Go to the episodes page. Go to the series, A Life of Many Colors, and we are on session five. And make sure you get that study guide. It's a free PDF that you can follow along, and there's a bunch of stuff we don't even get to. And so it's a great resource for you as you're trying to grow in your understanding of God and what he's doing, even through the most painful situations in your life. I'm so delighted that you're here for this conversation. My prayers are with you. Welcome to the Bible Lab. have a more guilty conscience than me. <laughs> okay, let me tell those, uh, let me tell you what I'm seeing. I am seeing about 60% maybe, yes, maybe 65% maybe. I'm seeing about 25% no, and maybe 10% yes, and I don't know if those numbers match up, I don't care. Theology was my degree, obviously. But most of you say maybe, because uh, I can see it on your face. You have a guilty conscience. <laughs> Don't we all? And those, uh, <laughs> uh, th- those of you that said um, that, uh, yes, the other people have a more guilty conscience, talk to us later. Um, counsel us. <laughs> Help us to stop being so naughty and having naughty thoughts. Yes, you, we need your help. Thank you, 10 percenters. Number two, I've tried to work on this, but I have a problem of holding grudges. I've tried to work on this, but I have a problem holding grudges. Okay, let's see. (laughs) Uh, This is a 50-50 split. It's a 50-50 split, and I'm seeing just a few, maybe less than five maybes. There's about 300 of us here today. So... Should I ask yes or no? Is that grudge against someone who's here? Okay, yes, no, no, okay, no, no. No, let's not go there. Let's not go there. Think positive. Think positive. I'm positive there's someone here that you're holding a grudge against. Yes. Uh, Number three, there are people in my life that I've not fully forgiven simply because they've never asked for it. Some people in my life I've never forgiven just simply because they've never asked for it. Wow, okay, so I'm seeing a majority of no. I'm seeing about 85% no, 10% yes, and, and uh, uh, the, the rest maybes, yes. So um, let's see what that means. It means most of you 
have fully forgiven people even though they haven't asked for it? Is that what you're saying? Wow, you guys are so much better than me. Can I trade places? Can I sit down? I, I need one of you knows that you've asked, you've asked me for it and I still haven't forgiven you. Thanks, Randy. I'm holding a grudge, aren't I? Yeah. Wow, that's actually really good. I did not expect that today, that the vast majority of this crowd, you've forgiven people even though they haven't asked for forgiveness. They, they haven't shown any desire for forgiveness and you've just, like the beautiful song says, you just let it go. Yes. Huh. We're going to talk about this today because um, I bet you if we dug down deep, there might be one person in your life. There's that, there's that one person. You know that one person that you not only let the offense go, you pretty much let them go. They're, they're just not part of your life anymore. And the reason why is because they've shown you they really don't care. And the offense that they've done has been so deep that you can easily raise a no card until they come back into your life. And today as we look at the Joseph story, everything has gone in kind of a, pre a predictable trajectory to where Joseph, uh, of course, goes from bad to worst to worst, going from being thrown into a pit, then sold into slavery, thrown down to Egypt, and then thrown into prison. It's gone down, 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 and even in prison, as we looked last week, there's, you know, th th there were issues of him now being a slave to other prisoners, and then it looks like things are going to go good because he has a way to get out of prison, and then they forget him, and then last week we were looking, wow, okay, so then he gets out of prison, now everything is good. Now it's the blessing that always follows the cursings, right? We went through the dark time, and now he's in the bright days of his life, being this second in command of all of Egypt. The next one under Pharaoh, and life is good. He's got a wife, he's got a couple of kids, he's sparing the entire country of Egypt from famine. All is good. And then some people come back into his life. And I think maybe you might have experienced this. I know I have, to where everything seems to be going great. And then there, there's the person that reintroduces themselves that swells up all of that emotion that you thought you would let go. It, it was like there's a reservoir that was capped, and now it just came uncapped. And the same level of emotion that you had and negativity all comes boiling to the surface. That's today's story. And I think as we go through it, I think the Holy Spirit's going to touch your heart and show you what he wants you to know about his character and also about how he wants you to connect the dots in your own life as well. Number four, God causes distresses in our lives to make us feel guilty. God causes distresses in our lives to make us feel guilty. Many of you are very, very quick on this. I'm seeing about 90% no about, wow, about 5% yes and 5% maybes. We're going to have some challenges here today. Because even as we look at, at our study guide and, and we see later on that there's places like 2 Corinthians 7 verses 10 and 11 that talk about God bringing distresses into our lives. 
we got to talk about this. What does that say about God, and how does he do it, and how does he do it in a way that's still love, if he does it? So we're going to talk about that later on today, if we have time. Number five, if it were not for our guilty feelings, we would never receive God's grace. If it were not for our guilty feelings, we would never receive God's grace. Okay, once again, I'm seeing an overwhelming sea of orange. No, and it's probably about... 85% no, and then there's an even split between the maybes and the yeses. Once again, we're going to take a look at this because many theologians have said, and there are places in Scripture where you look, and it seems like this is what they're saying. If it were not for our guilt, we would never see the need for grace. And so we're going to talk about that as well, the role of guilt. Because everything in your life, is in your life, right? By definition, everything in your life is in your life. So the question is, what are you going to do with the things in your life? Because you can look at the things in your life and you can complain about them or you can be encouraged by them. In fact, certain things have come into your life that others would call blessings. Like, wow, you're so blessed. You're like, oh, that's the biggest cursing. Have you ever heard about these people who win the lottery and then they say that was the biggest curse of my life. It was the worst thing that ever happened to me. You're like, boy, I wish I was cursed. (laughs) I wish I was cursed the same way you were cursed because I would do it different. And the question is, well, what would you do different? As we look at the story here, we're going to get to a part to where the brothers get their money back. And the first thing they say is, what is God doing to us? This is horrible. We're cursed. And so we're going to take a look at the things that are in your life. You can view them as a blessing or you can view them as a cursing. And depending on how you view them, it will determine in your life how God is able to use it. Because everything that God's doing in your life is for your betterment. But you can look at some of the things in your life as a curse that God sees as a blessing. And we're going to take a look at that as well today. So already we have a question right here. So I need a microphone right here to share in. All right, Sharon, get us going. Well, I wasn't here last week, so I missed out on the conversation. But this morning I did a little tiny bit of research, and I see that in the Bible commentary, Ellen White says that Potiphar stopped thinking of of Joseph as a servant, as a slave, and he became like a son to him. And this makes me wonder, as I have before, whether his... It says that Potiphar was the one who said Joseph should serve those high-ranking men. Mm-hmm. Was Potiphar perhaps looking ahead and thinking, you know, maybe this is something he's going to need to know? Because he seems to have really esteemed Joseph. He didn't believe his wife. Yeah. Does that make any difference in the story? Or how he, gets, how he was treated in prison? Yeah, I... W- there's a challenge that Potiphar has, and, and you're right, he didn't believe his wife, and I will not ask a yes, no, how many of you men believe your wives? Um, <laughs> because I'm not sure God could use that for the good. <laughs> but I, I, I will say this, uh, with how Potiphar treats Joseph after the accusation, remember Potiphar's job description, the primary definition of his, of his yeah. job description is executioner. 
So many commentators say that, well, you didn't fully believe because he could have easily executed Joseph yeah. for such a high offense because he was in charge of dispensing that. And the prison was in his house. Well, it was connected to yeah. it. Okay. How they would, it was almost like a parsonage. The, yes. the uh, warden's <laughs> okay. house was like a person yes, yes, connected okay. to this yeah. special. There, it was a special prison. It was for special prisoners, by the way, the, the royal prisoners. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're right. Um, it, he obviously didn't fully believe his wife, but because of the culture of the day yeah. and because the Egyptians were actually quite open uh, about their sexuality and things like that, were not seen the same as, as they're seen uh, to us in our Western eyes today. Um, and one of the social uh, sociological issues that were going on is he had to at least put on a front and there's still yes. cultures today especially in certain asian cultures and i won't say them because i don't want them to think i'm being offensive but certain cultures I, i've talked with and counseled uh certain people where um you never admit your child made the mistake because that would be a yeah. disgrace to the honor within your family and so he couldn't admit his wife did it it would lower the honor of her and his family and uh, so in the sociological context he had to just let it play out but you can also tell that he rises him at least to a rank of well you're in charge of this you're in charge of my house before now you're in charge of my prison yeah 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 okay awesome thank you sharon this is all great stuff for context. We always have to, you have to be able to visualize what's going on in the story, especially today. You're going to visualize some stuff perhaps you haven't visualized even up to now about Joseph's brothers. I want us to open up with the first 17 verses of Genesis 42, and then we'll go from verses 18 through the end of the chapter um, after we cover this first part. If you have your Bibles, you can read through your Bibles. It's always great to underline or put little notes in your Bible. God is not offended when you write in your Bible. Uh, you know, uh, God is offended when you don't open your Bible, probably, uh, and don't write in it. Um, so you're not being sacrilegious by writing in, in your Bible, or you may have a, uh, a digital version on a device, and you can take notes there, too. Um, if you'd like to read along the same version I'm going to read, I have it in the NIV up on the screen, and it reads like this. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? Have you said that to your kids? Never mind. He continued, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. Do we still have the same problem even though Joseph's gone? There's still a favorite. There's still a favorite. Okay. Number, uh, verse 5. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Verse 6. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. Have you ever had someone come back into your life and you pretended you didn't recognize them? <laughs> I'm meddling. I'll go on. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see 
where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. It's funny, as Joseph is pressing them, they do this typical human trait. You're trying to give details to prove you're not lying. And so as Joseph is pressing, they keep giving more and more details. So why do you think Joseph keeps pressing? Because he wants more and more details. How's my family doing? Verse 14, Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies. And this is how you'll be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you're telling the truth. If you're not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. All right, a couple of things here you could easily miss if you're not reading through the original language and, and doing, the, doing the word studies. He recognizes his brothers. So remember, Joseph looks different. He looks like a Hebrew in mourning. Why? Because the Egyptians were the opposite culturally. If an Egyptian was in mourning, they would let their hair grow and their beard grow out. If a Hebrew was in mourning, they would shave their head and shave their beard. And the Egyptians were just the opposite. So here is Joseph, shaved head, shaved face, the black coal, Egyptian coal, on his eyes, got makeup on. Thank God we don't live in, in Egypt today, man. <laughs> but he needed to know their hearts. It's been 20 years, at least 20 years since he was thrown into the pit and sold into slavery. He needed to know the heart of these 10 brothers who sold him into slavery. In fact, it was worse than that. They had decided to kill him. And it was just because the caravan's going by and they realized, hey, if we kill him, we don't make any money. Let's sell him and let's make some money. That's the only reason why he, he was spared. And the, the sole reason why he was sold to the Egyptians and ultimately falsely accused, thrown into prison 20 years earlier. It's the 10 people standing in front of him. So what does he do? He does what all of us would at least think about doing. I have the power to do the same thing to them. They accused him of a, as being a spy, because remember it said just before, what was that, chapter 37, it said that he had given a bad report about his brothers, and so here he is coming to spy on his brothers and take another bad report back down uh, to Father Jacob. And so the same thing that they accused him of, he accuses them of, you're spies. Same thing they did to him, throw him into a pit. He said, I'm going to throw you into prison. Same thing. Did Joseph feel good or what? <laughs> Doesn't it feel good? You got your chance. I don't want you to gloss this over and, and, and do the whole felt board set story of Joseph here where he sees him and 
He's doing God's work of testing to see whether their hearts have changed. No, this is Joseph's work. It does not say God inspired Joseph to help change the hearts of his ten brothers. God's doing a work on Joseph's heart. Because at the beginning of the story, Joseph has not forgiven his brothers. In fact, if you recall, last week when, when we talked about his life finally getting back together, and he's finally in his governor position, and he's preparing everything for this coming famine. Before the famine comes, he has a couple of sons. And the meaning of one of the sons he names is, thank you for helping me forget my family. So one of his sons is, my blessing from God, this son is helping me forget these 10 guys. And now these 10 guys show back up. So, question, is it all right to forgive someone but not necessarily forget what he or she did? Because I get this question all the time. I don't know if you do. Uh, people set up appointments with me all the time saying, hey, look, someone did this. Wouldn't it be dangerous for me to forget what they did? And we have a really good discussion. So I want to ask you guys, is it all right to forgive someone but not necessarily forget what he or she did? And Raul, I don't know if you're going to touch on that, but I know it's going to be good. So go ahead. Purple mic. Uh, slightly, but um, I th for me it's important to place this in the political context, context of the time. And, and whether forgiving and forgetting were even possible for this group of people. Yeah. Pharaoh was the ultimate enemy of almost everybody in the Mediterranean region, especially the south and the east. That's right. He was the ultimate enemy for 2,000 years until uh, the Greeks and later the Romans dominated them. Yeah. Uh, but, um, and partially, I, and just so people understand, partially for the same reason why people hate certain football teams today. <laughs> right? Because if there's a dominant team that just keeps winning, we start hating that team if they're out of our demographic area. Unless we're from that area and we can somehow, you know, <laughs> pretend like we're still connected to that team, right? Even though we live here. So in the same way, they were becoming so dominant and Joseph was helping them become more dominant because of the famine and their preparation for it. Exactly. That's the point. So here we have a... Um, M Besides, um, in the whole scripture, uh, the, the, the Bible describes Egypt as the ultimate enemy, uh, a, a group of people, a people to be despised and neglected and even hated. Yeah. And God himself um, describes Egypt as the ultimate enemy and, 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 and bad. But interestingly, Egypt is the place of uh, protection is yeah. where you sent your, your song, Jesus, to be protected. Yes. Hey, and is where Joseph is, is sent. And the um, Jehorobang, I can't pronounce his name, goes there to, to be safe and some others, you right. know. So right. it's the ultimate enemy, but it's the place where you sent your dear ones to be protected. Yeah. And this is an irony. And a, a tremendous irony because here we have Joseph working for the uh, enemy, the government that is the enemy. He's the second in, in, in power yeah. and he has to decide whether to exert forgiveness mm -hmm. 
and forgetting. Yeah. Um, and it's tremendously difficult because you know that you are the powerful one. Yes. You know, you know that, and he yeah. knows that. We are the most powerful nation on earth, and I'm the second in government. Yes. So and I try to picture myself in, in this time, in modern time, in my lifetime, if, when I have power, might be easy to forgive mm -hmm. than to forget. And actually, it might not be useful to forget at all. Yeah. And I think that's Joseph, that Joseph realized that. Yeah. I'm not going to forget this, but I'm going to bring it to the right point. Yes. And I, I love what you said there because you also set up the understanding of those who offend the Pharaoh, what is their fate? Just go back two chapters and ask what happened to the chief baker for offending Pharaoh, which most likely was food poisoning. And they blamed him, and so he was impaled on a stake. So if he's second in command and he's following the example of the most powerful man and he's second most powerful in the world at that time, well, how do you treat offenses? Exactly. Back here, uh, is that blue or green? Green. Yes. Yes. I'm <clears throat> going to give voice to uh, something that I haven't resolved. And uh, this class brings me many times uh, in what my um, beliefs have been or my values. And, and I would like conversation on it, that I would resolve it, or that I would be more knowledgeable about how God acts with us. Yeah. And that is that I've been a Christian since um, I was 16 years old, and and since then I I have believed and operated on that. Um, what happens in my life is a consequence of how I behave, how I act, how I not that God allowed it, that God caused it, that uh, and so. This is what I need to resolve because the last few lessons have brought me to uh, we're guilty because we think we offend God uh, or that God caused it and then we get bad feelings about God uh, because he allowed it and he caused it. Yeah. I, have I made myself clear? <laughs> yeah, you, you have. And I, I love that, Olivia, because a lot of times I, I work with people who come in and they say, look, if God's in control of everything, why did I have to go through the abuse that I just went through? Because I was a child. I was an innocent child. Did God want me to be physically abused? Did he want me to be sexually abused? Did he want that person to, you know, take advantage of my weakness at, at that moment? So what you're saying is God, you know, causes this just because he knew my heart needed to be this way? And I say, absolutely not. I believe the devil causes a lot of things, and we don't give the devil enough credit. The devil is here to discourage you. And if you want to understand that more, read the book of Job. Everything that came into Job's life was not God allowing it. It was Satan causing it. Um, what we don't understand is what we gave up in the Garden of Eden, which is God's sovereign protection. We chose in our own mind to say, we're going we're gonna to try to step into our own wisdom 
into our own experience. God's entire work is to get us back into his sovereign protection for eternity. But we are living in a time where things should never make sense if they're painful to you. God's not putting you through it just so perhaps one day you can help somebody else. God can use your pain to help someone in the future because God can use everything. He can make beauty from ashes, but God didn't cause it. The devil caused it. And so that's why it irritates me oftentimes, Olivia, when things happen, like on, on 9-11, when the planes crashed into the World Trade Center and those things came down, I had so many people coming up to me saying, why, God, why? And I said, why aren't you asking, why Satan? I mean, ask the guy who's responsible for inspiring that type of action. God's not allowing that. Satan's inspiring that. So why can't we see that the devil is at work? This is warfare. And he is fighting. For the, for the minds of people and the will of the people to believe in a God who they can't see. And so from that standpoint, I love what you brought up, Olivia, because that does, that does really tie into where we have to go. When bad things happen, you always ask why. Is, and, and where did this come from? And so we have to ask that question. Carolyn, over here, red mic. The third point, Yes. Roy. So I'll, I'll address I'll bring that bring up a fourth. <laughs> So you just said that Satan causes it, but God doesn't allow it. No, wait a minute. Who's the more powerful one? Ah, ah. So this is the ultimate question. Who's more powerful, Satan or God? Answer that one. That's easy. Okay. Okay, but, so then. But. Can but, I throw in a, a, an extra thing? Who's in control? Of this planet. No. Of you. And this is where people don't get it. You are in control of you. Yeah. God does not control you. True. The devil does not control you. You choose whether the devil has control or whether God has control, which puts you in control. But because Roy, it's always your choice of okay. who is controlling you. So Go the devil it. controlled the guys that flew the plane. The guys who designed the, the disaster, etc. He inspired them. Inspired them. Yes. Whatever. The 3,000 people. <laughs> Thank you. The 3,000 people in the towers yes. didn't have a choice. Nope. Yeah. So, so they were the victim. <laughs> can I tell you, Carolyn? I, I have an answer. I, I just don't. I, 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 I don't want to slam down yeah. on it, but you have no. to understand something that most modern parents, millennial parents, don't teach their children. Actions have consequences. consequences. <laughs> Actions have consequences. Yeah. And until people understand that, they won't fully understand the tears of God. And the tears of God come when collateral damage happens. Yes. But what is God's ultimate plan? That this life be paradise or the next? Because that's why it says in Revelation 2 that he will wipe every tear from your eyes. He doesn't say there will be no more tears. That's Johnson & Johnson. <laughs> Baby shampoo. <laughs> Sorry. If you knew what else I was editing, you'd be very proud. Christ says 
he will wipe every tear from your eyes because there will be tears. Otherwise, he would never have to wipe them. On the other side, the emotion that God deals with, you, dealing with the consequences. I think the thing that's made us envision God as such a cold, heartless robot is we envision when major catastrophe happens in your family or in the world that God's not right there wiping the tear from your eye. That God just says, meh, collateral damage. But we're going to see something in the story, I hope, today to help you understand that even though God does not cause the heart of man to do what they do to hurt you, your loved ones, and the global community, that God can still breathe into these situations, soften your heart, and restore relationships that never could be restored without his presence. And that's what I want us to see today. Now, can I get back to my original question? Of course. <laughs> so you asked, is can it I, all right to I, forgive I, someone, can, but not can necessarily? Can I sit there and can you stand up here? Sure. <laughs> is it all right to forgive someone, but not necessarily to forget what he uh, or she did? Uh, can you truly forgive a person if you don't forget? Ooh. Or... I so, think, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've forgiven people and I haven't forgotten what they did. But can you reframe how you remember it? Because this is what I help people do. This is, this is a lot of what I do when I'm working and, and coaching and counseling people is to help them reframe the picture. Because the whole picture that you have is them standing, stabbing you and stabbing you and every opportunity that you give yourself vulnerability to them, you imagine in your mind that you are asking them to stab you again. Whether in the front or in the back, they're going to stab you. So what we have to work on is the framing of how we see the individual. Because I don't know about you, but I've grown over the years. Not just physically, but I'm not the same person I was 20 years ago. And that's Joseph's question in this story. What's happened in the past two decades? I've changed. I'm not the same snotty, obnoxious, young man, clueless, bringing my coat of many colors and my braggery around because my father played favorites and is giving me the birthright. That's what the coat represented. I'm getting the birthright. Leah's sons are getting nothing. Joseph was an idiot. He was a young, spoiled, unprepared individual for society. 17 years old at that time and still living at home while his brothers are out working. And 17 may be young today, but it wasn't young back then. 12 was young back then, and that's when you became a man. 17, you're 40 years old playing video games in your mom's basement. And that was Joseph 20 years earlier. So he wants to see what's changed. And this is what you have to do as well in your relationships. You have to look and reframe it and say, time has passed. Have they grown? And this is the initial thing that Joseph wants to see, right? Purple mic. Okay. So um, a long time ago, my friend and I, we were x-ray techs working in an emergency room. And Jose was awesome. He had been doing x-ray for like over 30 years. So he sees this doctor, who is a good doctor, she missed a fracture. So he went and told her, and he says, oh, hey, Dr. Taylor, you missed this 
fracture, and she went off on him. She yelled at him. She, he, she's the doctor. He's just a tech. On and on and on and went. So eventually she finds out that she missed the fracture. So she comes to apologize to Jose, and I'm right there when she does it. And, and, and Jose was, uh, he was um, a Cuban guy from, uh, born in Tampa but raised in Cuba. So he says to her, she says, Jose, I'm sorry. I was wrong. You were, you were completely right about that fracture. And he says, thank you, Dr. Taylor. He says, I forgive you, but I do not forget. Yeah. <laughs> so it starts me thinking from that moment on from you know this I was very early in my Adventist life yeah. um, you know do we really ever forgive anybody anything hmm. and I've come to the conclusion that I do not have that type of heart to forgive anybody anything yeah. at any time yeah. for any reason yeah. and so when I do forgive them what I recognize is that's God working in me. It's, it's a miraculous event. It's a divine ability to forgive somebody. Yeah. I don't think humans have the ability to forgive ever. They'll always remember yeah. and they'll always relive it. But what happens is when you have the Holy Spirit forgive somebody after you've prayed about it and then it just happens, you say, wow, I don't, I don't hate them anymore. Yeah. Then you have to recognize, oh, that wasn't me. Yeah. That was God in me. And it's, you might remember it, but it's just, it's like remembering a history lesson or something. It's not, the emotion becomes detached from it. If you work at it, you know, and you continue to remember that God has done this for you, or as he reminds you. So that's my, that's me. Maybe everyone else is different. I don't know. I, I, I love that, Brian. It's, I've, I've worked with people, and I've, you know, even recently, and people that I've offended, and they're like, you know, I will not forget. And when the time comes, I'm like, oh, great. Okay, here we go. I think that's what makes Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, so absolutely impactful as you look at the character of God. Because God himself, who, you know, the character I grew up with was a God who sees everything. You know, uh, we would even sing the, the songs, oh, be careful little feet where you go, or be careful little hands what you do. Um, for the father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little feet, where you go. I mean, it's a very scary song for little children. <laughs> but we had to have a song to compete with. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're... <laughs> so imagine, imagine my joy when I, I run across Isaiah 43, 25, which is one of my favorite verses of all time where God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. So there's two things here that just, it rang out when I, I read, the Holy Spirit just, just hammered my heart with this. Number one, remembers your sins no more means that God himself has chosen to have the worst memory in the universe. So that when he calls you to your life calling, your life purpose, what you were made to do in your life, and you respond to him, oh, I'd love to do that. That's a, a high level of purpose and ministry, but I couldn't possibly do that because God, remember the time. And you list what you did that excludes you from any ministry purpose in your life. And you try to remind God, and God says, what are you talking about? I don't remember that. I, 
And you say, no, remember, and just like Joseph's brothers, you give the details. Because God, of course, you've got to remember, these are the reasons why I'm unfit to represent you. And he says, no, I specifically remember forgetting that. <laughs> but I want to show you why. And most people jump over this phrase. It says, I am I who blots out your transgressions. And then there's a phrase here. For my own sake. And remembers your sins no more. So just like what you said, Brian, it, it just totally brought me into this verse. That's why I jumped to it here. Is because is forgiveness for the sake of the other person or for you? It's for your own sake. And it's okay because God does it too. Like if he does it, we can do it, right? For his own sake, he, he, he lets some things slip through his poor memory. And I'm not talking about, because I always get people when I'm talking about this, but what about the, the you know, the, the, the child predator who's had an offense? Do we just let them go back into our children departments and lead out in their, in their groups? No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. Because, of course, there are, within all of us, cravings that we have not allowed the Holy Spirit to change. And yes, there are some child predators who have changed, and I praise God for that. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the individuals within your life that perhaps there is still some relationship to salvage. And we're going to talk about that more today. I think Blue Mike might have been next. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, the question I have for Joseph, uh, and we're going back just a little bit, a few years, Maybe he caused what, where he ended up. He deserved what he got. And yet some people say, well, you know, the Lord used that because in the time of famine, Joseph was there. I, I, I don't buy that. The Lord, could he, he had another plan. Hmm. You know, necessarily, it wouldn't have been Joseph at that particular time, if he wasn't nutty and he wasn't selfish and all, you know, crazy and all these other things, to egg on his brothers to throw him where they did, deposit him in Egypt. Mm -hmm. And of course, use that. It doesn't mean that God is not going to use the situation that we're in. Yeah. But I don't know, you know, maybe you can explain it. You know, when we say, well, God caused that. So at the right time, Joseph was there to save his family. God could have chosen a, a, another plan. You know, maybe he had another plan that we don't know about. That's, that's a good perspective. And, and it's the same thing with Jesus. You know, while well, Judas, he did the will of God. Well, he, he didn't do the will of God. You know, what, what did Christ say? Christ said that, you know, kataramenos, that's in Greek. That's right. Verflucht is in German. What's in English? Anyway, Anybody know what cursed is the man. Okay. Cursed is the man. <laughs> cursed is the man that, you know, did okay. what he did to Christ. Exactly. So as, as I see it, the, the consistent thread, because with questions like this, you have to take what does the whole of Scripture say about a topic before you take one or two texts and say, well, obviously this is 
the, the full definition of the character of God. And so as we've seen repeatedly, as we will see repeatedly on and on, what you'll notice is God, because of how he set up the universe, which is much different than the Newtonian physics that unfortunately many of us learned in science class growing up. But in quantum theory, God is outside of time, but he's very active within time. And he can see all of time, beginning, middle, and end. That's why they call him the Alpha and the Omega. He can see beginning, middle, and end. That's why he calls himself I am, which means was, am, and will be. He's outside of this time, but he can see all the possibilities of what's going to happen. That's why he gives conditional prophecy, for example, to Jonah and to Nahum over Nineveh and says, well, if you do this, this is going to happen. If you do that, this is going to happen. He can tell you what's about to happen, but you have control over what happens. That's the coolest thing about how God created the universe is everything is potentiality, and you have the ability to change things based on following God's guidance or not following God's guidance. So he gives Joseph this uh, great chance because a famine is coming. God sees a famine is coming. But Joseph can change things. He can save people, even his own family, which is God's will because didn't he speak to Abraham? Didn't he speak to Isaac? And didn't he speak to Jacob while they're wrestling? He says, you're Israel because you will wrestle with God and in the end you'll win. So all of that would come to uh, basically a starvation ending if God didn't say, hey, some bad things are coming, but here's, here's your salvation. Here, here's a way to be saved. And so in this, once again, God doesn't cause bad things to happen, but he sees the bad things that are happening. He work with his people who will listen to say, can I give you a little bit better path? Can I help you help the most people possible there? All right, over here, Purple Mike. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I always uh, look at um, Joseph like the, one of the most uh, important people for me in the Bible because he, even though he went through all this, he forgave all his brothers and what all happened to him because he could see the bigger picture. Ah. He always looked at the bigger picture. Okay. And that helped him to see, even though he you know, punishes brothers yeah. with some things, yeah. but he, in his heart, deep inside, he loved them. Okay. And so that didn't matter. I, I love that. And let's take a look at how that happened, because it hasn't happened yet. Because Joseph's decision so far is I'm putting all, of, all 10 of them in prison. I'm, I'm only going to let one of them go, because they need to suffer. And I don't know how long it's going to take, they said for the children of Israel when they, in the Exodus, when they left Egypt to get to the promised land, it was a 40-day journey. So I'm guessing it was about a 40-day journey. So let's say it's a round trip that they bring Benjamin back. His brother's going to be in jail maybe 80, 90 days, three months. Three months in jail. Joseph doesn't seem concerned, but... Three days pass, and God's working on Joseph's heart. Because you'll notice there's a change in plans that comes about. Instead of keeping all nine, he only keeps one. And there's a reason for it. Let's take a look here at the next couple of verses. Genesis 42, 18 to 38 says, On the third day Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. Which had to surprise them because he had the Egyptian gods, and yet he uses the Hebrew term for God here and says, hey, I fear your God. 
which might have surprised them, like, how does this guy know our God? And they're Egyptians. They look down on Hebrews like, uh, like you know, they're, yes, they're, they're less than human. So verse 19, if you're honest, men, and this is the question he wants to know, if you're honest, men, because they were not before, let one of your brothers stay here in the prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. Verse 21, then they said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us uh, for his life, but we would not listen. That's why his distress, this distress has come on us. Uh, verse 22, Reuben replied, didn't I Uh, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you would not listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. Some of you speak a couple languages. You got some stories here. Times and places you've been in a place they didn't know you could speak their language. And they started talking. I used to wonder, I, I went to school in South Texas, and uh, I used to wonder whether the, the kids speaking in Spanish were talking about us until I learned Spanish. And then I realized, absolutely, they're talking about us. <laughs> that really helped me study Spanish. <laughs> Verse 24, he turned away from them and began to weep. We're going to talk about this in a second. Why did he weep? But then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded the grain on their donkeys and left. Verse 27, at the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we're honest men, we're not spies. We were 12 sons, uh, 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is lord over the land said to us, This is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take uh, food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me, so I will know that you are not spies but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you, and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my, of my children. Joseph is no, no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. Verse 38 concludes, but Jacob said, my son will not go down uh, there with you. His brother is dead and he is the only one left. 
can you be more offended uh, as 10 brothers standing around saying, uh, am I chopped mutton? What's, uh... <laughs> if harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. I'm going to talk to you about a couple of things going on here. Joseph hears Reuben say something that Joseph had never even contemplated. He didn't hear it. He didn't hear while he was crying for the He didn't even know they heard that he was pleading for his life. They were so busy with their own plans. He thought these heartless 10 brothers did this to me without one ounce of remorse. And to hear his oldest brother, Reuben, the one he had always blamed for pushing him into slavery, was the one who pleaded for his life. Have you ever had a narrative and then years later you find out maybe my narrative was not all that full of all the information? Joseph hears this and, and Reuben says, I told you guys not to do this. And for the first time, it pierces Joseph's heart. I've been cursing him the most because he's the oldest. He's the one in charge. He's the one that would make the final decision. And all this time, I, I never knew that he pleaded for my life. So that's why he has Simeon arrested, Simeon's second oldest, and the one who pushed it through. So I'm going to throw him in jail. There's still not forgiveness here. And so as he's looking here at these brothers talking in, uh, in Hebrew about the remorse, this is the situation God set up to bring Joseph healing. It's in this moment. God can use a famine to fill you up. And God uses a famine to bring a family together so Joseph could hear something he never knew. He never knew his brothers had remorse. His, he never knew his brothers were living with guilt. And this guilt had bogged them down for 20 plus years. And even now, when anything else would happen that's unrelated to Joseph, they're attributing it to their guilt. And Joseph realizes right there, that while he felt like his life had in some way been cursed and, and the trajectory of his life had gone down and down and down, he realizes that his 10 brothers were even farther down in the darkness of despair. Because it's not only this challenge that they're having with getting food and being accused of being spies and having to, having to prove it, but their guilt has led them to a place that everything bad that happens is based on their previous bad behavior. And quite frankly, that's what we've taught a lot of people over the generations, that if you do bad, God will curse you and bad things will consistently come into your life. And if you do good things, good things will come to you. And, 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 and we go through this whole bedtime story of do good because you want good things. Don't do bad because bad things will happen to you. And Joseph weeps in this moment because he realizes a couple of things. Number one, not all the brothers who he thought hated him, actually did hate him. And number two, he realizes his 10 brothers are broken men. 10 very broken men. Now, these men, 
Joseph had experienced what they were even before they sold him to slavery. Just go back a couple of chapters before chapter 37. Read chapter 35 and, and 36. You'll see that his brothers, for example, Simeon and Levi, go into an entire town and murder every single man when they're in a weakened state. I'll just say that. Read it. You'll understand. Because of what they did to their sister, what this one man did to his sister. They were unforgiving of this man even though he came back and had remorse and said, I want to marry your, marry your sister. They went and killed every man in that village. Even worse, they rounded up all the children and all the wives and said, you are now our captives. So these aren't just young adult shepherds out in the fields when we first meet them. These are warrior terrorists who came through and now they captured children and wives. You're ours now. By force. And just in case you think the other eight weren't that bad, well, the other eight, when they, when they found out what happened, they didn't scold their brothers. They said, hey, let's loot the town. And they looted all the wealth of, of that neighboring town and took all of their livestock. It was so bad that Jacob says, we can't live here anymore. And that's why they moved over to Bethel. These are not good men. These are not people that just made a mistake, one mistake in their life, and it's all gone downhill from there. These were not good men. And yet what God does in this situation is he says, I take people who are not good, and I bring them together so that there can be some good. I can bring reconciliation. I can restore families who are horrible people. And if you think you have a bad family, Read chapters 35 and 36. I'm not downplaying the pain you've gone through, but the reality is God says, I can take any situation, any family, and I can bring them back together. We're going to see some more in the coming chapters of how God unfolds that. But ultimately, right here, the question that we have to ask is, did God, did God use this distress to bring grace into a family that never earned it? And the answer is yes. Did the brothers ever do anything to deserve forgiveness? No. And yet God brings about these situations in our life to say, but it's my goal that within your family, you can have restoration. You can have healing. Today, we have to take a look at how guilt warps our, perceptive of, our perception of God's grace. Because your guilt, the things that you've done wrong, that you feel, I've done this against God and God knows everything, it warps your perception of grace. I, I want to share in, in closing here, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10 and 11, it says, godly sorrow, which is another word for guilt, right? <laughs> some do, uh, some uh, versions do translate as guilt. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Isn't that beautiful? So your guilt, like I said, everything in your life is in your life. So how do you choose to deal with the stuff in your life? And there's a positive way of looking at it and a negative way of looking at it. Scripture tells you that when you have guilt, godly sorrow, that you can choose to repent for what you're feeling guilty for. Because that repentance will actually lead to your salvation and leave you without regret. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I'm worried about uh, ending my life with some regrets. 
I didn't do this, I didn't do that, I, I wasn't risky in this, and I was too risky in that. Regrets. God says that guilt in your life right now, in your relationships, not just with him, but with others, can actually bring you to repentance that will lead you to salvation, restoration within your relationships so you can live without regret. But worldly sorrow, worldly guilt brings death. It, it will bring you not only a physical death, but will bring you into emotional death, spiritual death, because you'll just dry up. We're going to continue this story next week, but while you're going through this week, I, I, I need you to kind of be in this state of marinating what we just went through, because what's about to happen is the, the life change I hope that happens in all of us over this next week, which is how do we deal with the anger, the disappointment, the issues that have happened between people that we wish that we were the closest to. And yet our relationship has been in some way destroyed. I don't know how God is going to restore your relationship that you're thinking about right now because no one could have predicted this in Joseph's life. Joseph never could have predicted this. But this week, as you're thinking about the individual that you really, you've given up on the relationship. Can we be open this week that God has a very special plan? And yes, it may be 20 years from now. It was for Joseph. God has a plan because God is in the restoration business. God is in the business of bringing people together, giving you more information, giving you a softer heart, giving you not only the power to be able to dish out what you receive, but giving you the power to restrain yourself from dishing out what they did. Giving you maturity, giving you wisdom, giving you love, giving you compassion, and ultimately giving you the character of God that can reflect through you that regardless of whether this individual ever has any signs of remorse or not, that you do not bear that baggage. God says in a very intentional way, that's why I want to give you my yoke and you take mine. I'll take yours, you take mine because my burden's light. So this week, can you take God's yoke and say, you know, I've been carrying around this really heavy feeling because this is unresolved. Can you take God's yoke and say, God, resolve it? Because the reason why I take your yoke is because God wants to direct us on our path. And that's what a yoke is for. Because he will direct your path into a very similar situation with Joseph to say, I can bring resolution to families who are hurting. And that's what God wants to do for us this week. And he not only wants to do that, he wants to help you process your pain and understand the cost that comes along with it. And that's what we're going to talk about in our next episode. So I don't want you to miss the next episode. Please come back for episode 86 of the Bible Lab podcast. In between now and then, I want you to be thinking about 
whether you would like to start a Bible Lab conversation in your community. We have a team that would love to help you and help you not only launch it in your area, but support you throughout your journey of helping the people in your community, in your neighborhood, be able to have a conversation about the beautiful infinitely loving character of God. If you'd like to start one in your community, just email us at info at thebiblelab.com or go to our website's contact page and let us know and we'll get right back to you. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at thebiblelab.com. Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.